When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good evening, Steeler fans. Welcome to Wednesday night here on Behind the Steel Curtain Radio. And if it's Wednesday night, you know it's time to talk about the Steelers' upcoming opponent right here on Know Your Enemy. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. With me, as always, Shannon White. Shannon, how are you doing tonight? I am I'm super excited. Uh, get to, to you know, pick... Shane's brain about this upcoming game and get some insider information. And I am a little disappointed. I see the title of the show was Street Busters. <laughs> and I thought it said Stiller Steak Biscuits. And I was I was <laughs> kind of excited there at first. And then I realized what it was actually about. So. Uh, Steelers Steak Biscuits. <laughs> I, I that that's great. I don't know how we're gonna follow that. <laughs> With us tonight to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, we have Shane Half. Shane, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here with you guys tonight. Well, you've got reason to be happy. The Philadelphia Eagles are, what's their record again? It's 6-0, uh, I think. 6-0? Six six and six and and oh. Is that right? 6-0. Mm-hmm. 6-0. Oh. How, is that caught you by surprise? How surprised are you? How? What are your thoughts on this? On their Eagles starting 6-0? I, I thought the Eagles were the favorite to win their division for the year. I put them somewhere in like a 10 to 12 win range. And I thought they had a really small range of outcomes. So I expected them to be a competitive team this year. I never expected them to be six and zero though. I thought they had, you know, not the easiest schedule to start. I was really high on the Jags. I thought the Vikings were going to have a good season and obviously the Cowboys. So if you told me that they would hit their buy at six and zero. I would have been really excited about that. So I expected them to be good, but 6-0 and is, is a little better than I predicted. I think a lot of people, you know, thought that the Eagles were putting together a super team. You know, they did that a few uh, years back, and it didn't work out too well. But this year, it seemed like it was – they made a lot better decisions to put together a team uh, 
not just stars, but guys that actually made sense. And they fit together very, very well on both sides of the ball. Um, the Cowboys, you know, as you said, uh, were going to be a real competitor for them this year. Nobody saw the Giants coming. Uh, at least I didn't. And, and I think most people didn't as well. You think the, the Washington and the Giants was going to be at the bottom of that division. But what what do you think has been the biggest factor? Is it the new head coach? Is it, uh, you know, the, the growth of Jalen Hurts? Uh, the, you know, A.J. Brown factor? What is What do you think has been the biggest reason that they've come together so quickly? I think the growth of Jalen Hurts is huge. Uh, going all the way back to his college days at Alabama, this is the first time he's had the same offensive coordinator for two consecutive seasons. And so Eagles fans looked for him to make a leap just because he wouldn't be learning a new system for the first time in like six years uh, this offseason. And he's really done that. Uh, you know, two of his biggest deficiencies last season, I would have told you, were his tendency to bail out of the pocket and to look to run and just an inability to throw over the middle of the field. And he seems to have shown growth in both of those areas. Now, acquiring A.J. Brown, who's an elite receiver over the middle of the field, certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, but even as he's broken the pocket this year, he seemed to break the pocket with his eyes downfield, looking to make a play through the air instead of just scramble. So uh, he's he's made some big strides. You know, obviously, Shane Steichen has pushed the right buttons as the offensive play caller. Uh, Nick Sirianni has given that continuity as the head coach. And so I think all of that plays in. But the roster was set. It, it was up to Jalen Hurts to take that leap, and it appears that he's done it so far. Well, going with in on Jalen Hurts, if you can humor us Pittsburgh fans here for a minute, because uh, we have a we have a rookie quarterback who doesn't isn't playing the greatest uh, right now. His stat line certainly is, is even worse than he's even playing. What was it like with Jalen Hurts as a rookie, uh, and how much has he changed? How visible is the difference between the player he was uh, as a rookie and the player he is now? It's huge. Um, and it's a little different, too. Uh, Hertz is a rookie. He Second-round draft pick, he didn't play at the start of the year. It, it was the abysmal 2019 season, 2020 season. They all run together for me now. What a, two seasons ago, yeah. uh, he didn't come in until the Green Bay game. I think it was like week 12 or 13. So he had been on the bench for a long time. And he gave a spark just with his rushing ability. But as a passer, it just wasn't really there. Last season, they really tried to be a pass-heavy team at the beginning of the year, and they struggled. And so they had to settle into a run-heavy approach. And one of the biggest differences there between Jalen Hurts' situation and Kenny Pickett's situation is the Eagles had an elite offensive line, and they could ride the running game into a wild-card playoff game last year versus the Steelers, who their offensive line hasn't been good going back to when Ben Roethlisberger was there. Now, their, their pass blocking's been better this year. They, they yeah. actually have a top 10 offensive line according to ESPN's pass block win rate metric, um, but they still struggle to run the ball. They're near the bottom of the league in, in run block win rate. They're near the bottom of the league in EPA and yards per carry per rushing attempt. So Pickett has a lot more on his plate than Hurts did because there's not much of a running game. Now, he's got weapons that Hurts didn't have until this year. So if the Steelers can do what the Eagles did, they went and got the missing pieces. They went and got A.J. Brown. If the Steelers 
can flip that script. They can go get the offensive line fix, the running game. It'll give Pickett a lot better chance to succeed. You know, the Steelers know a thing or two about, you know, hiring the right coach at the right time. And, you know, there's only been three in my lifetime. But, you know, it seems like when when they've had immediate success, when they've hit the field running, because it was timed for a change and they got the right personality with the right temperament, the right fit at that time. To me, Sirianni seems to be pulling all the right strings. I mean, he's like the puppet master. And his personality on the sidelines, though, I don't follow him like you do, but he seems to be have that fiery brashness uh, that really fits with that Philly fan base. And the team seems to really be responding to him. It's all. It's a lot like when Cower come in and took over in Pittsburgh, that they're feeding off that energy and that enthusiasm. Um, what can you tell us about him that maybe we don't see as a casual fan, you know, catching an Eagles game every once in a while? He is a master at pandering to his fan base. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> From showing up to press conferences in Philly's gear, mm. uh, wearing T-shirts with uh, Avante Maddox, a picture of him getting an interception the week after it happened. Uh, he, he he is the master panderer. And to, it, it could come across as a little corny, but I don't think this is this isn't something he's trying to force. It's just who he is. He's mm-hmm. just an excitable guy. Uh He's been held back by players because uh, he tried to run out onto the field yelling at other opposing defenders. The pre-se- first week of the preseason, one of the Jets defenders hit Jalen Hurts out of bounds, and Sirianni was like halfway out on the field, and he's got guys pulling him back, and he was yelling at Robert Sala and the defender and everybody. <laughs> it happened again in the Cowboys game. So uh, he, he's got a fiery personality. The players definitely love him. Uh, he's a little bit of a goofball. Uh, but in an endearing way that that makes the players and the fans really like him. What is the best way to defend Jalen Hurts? This version of Jalen Hurts, what's what's the best you've seen? What's the book on uh, trying to slow him down? The the one the chink in the armor for the Eagles' offense is that Jalen Hurts struggles against the blitz. Now you're playing with fire if you decide to blitz the Eagles. Because when you send the blitz, if the quarterback, if your mobile quarterback's able to break the pocket, all of a sudden he has all kinds of room to run. But his his splits when he's blitzed and when he isn't is just a dramatic difference. He completes 58% of his passes when he's blitzed versus 72% when he's not blitzed. Uh, his yards per attempt drops from 9.3 when not blitzed to 6.3. His TD to interception ratio goes from 5 to 1 to 1 to 1, and his uh, quarterback rating drops by 36 points so the eagles are uncomfortable against the blitz that they don't have good answers especially uh, if you want to mug up the a gap with linebackers and put seven on the line you don't have to send them all sometimes you can send four or five and get a free runner because the eagles do not like to keep a tight end in to block dallas goddard is a big part of their passing game they don't want to waste him blocking and none of their running backs are very good in pass protection. And so often they choose to just go five out on routes. And so if you send six guys, you are going to have a free runner at Hertz. Sometimes you can get a free runner with five. And the Eagles don't really dial up hot reads against the Blitz. It's these deep developing routes and Hertz, you make a guy miss if he comes in free. Now he can do that, but it has been a limiting thing for the offense so far. And something that I hope that they've addressed during the bye week 
uh, because in my opinion that's how you would beat them it is just with a blitz heavy approach Stiller fans as you mentioned earlier are envious of the Eagles offensive line um I was really high on the Eagles when they got A.J. Brown, as I mentioned earlier, because he's going to work that middle, then underneath. You know, he just attacks the ball. He catches everything away from the body in, you know, contested in in traffic. Uh, he He's really that, you know, the Ertz, you know, you know, they let Ertz leave, but then they bring in a guy who's, you know, he's developing that chemistry with. But when I'm sitting back looking, one of my, I'm a huge offensive line aficionado and just love Kelsey. Love to watch him. Love his temperament, his leadership. The Steelers had that when they had Marquise Pouncey, but obviously they haven't had that for a while. Um, you know, looking at it from the outside, looking in, to me, Kelsey's the offensive leader. You know, I, I, he's the leader of that offense and he's the stabilizing force. Uh, is there is there somebody else that I'm missing, or is he truly taking on that leadership role? Yeah, uh, he and Lane Johnson uh, are, are the key cogs in the offensive line for the Eagles. The Eagles, uh, Jason Kelsey is so athletic, and they love to do a lot of things with him. They love to pull him out to the perimeter to get him on cornerbacks, linebackers. They love to use him in combo blocks uh, to, to – push his guy off to the guard and get up to the second level. So they love to get Kelsey out on the move and use his, his athleticism. And then Lane Johnson at right tackle, uh, he hasn't allowed a sack, I think it's since week six of the 2020 season. So he, he's an elite player. Mm-hmm. He, he's probably one of the most underappreciated players in the NFL outside of Philadelphia. Like Philadelphia fans know how good he is. But, you know, he was snubbed from the NFL top 100, and I would argue that he's not only the best right tackle in the league, I think he's probably one of the best offensive tackles in general uh, in the league, uh, who notably is in the concussion protocol right now. So mm-hmm. we're crossing our fingers that he's going to be cleared and able to play on Sunday. With the Eagles run game, Miles Sanders is currently top 10 in carries, yards, touchdowns, yards per game, Yards per carry is is a good number. It's not like super high up there. They have the uh, sixth most rushing yards, the most rushing touchdowns. They haven't even played as many games as most of the teams that are like (laughs) some of the teams that are ahead of them. Where where do you mark uh, Miles Sanders among running backs in the NFL, or is is he like is he one of the better ones, or is this a case where he's getting this production because of the offense around him? I think Miles Sanders is an above-average NFL back. I don't think he's an elite back. Uh, he has taken a big step this year. I've been critical of Miles Sanders over the last couple of years, and he has played a lot better this year. Nobody in the NFL has an easier job than Miles Sanders, though, because you think about it. First of all, he's running behind an elite offensive line, so that offensive line will will give you holes. You know, his his yards per carry above expectation is not great. It's not bad, but it's not elite by any means. He's taking what taking what is given to him. So that's the first thing. The second thing is having a mobile quarterback also makes things so much easier on your run game. So you think about box counts. If the Steelers load up the box, they're plus one in the box. They're not really plus one in the box because somebody has to account for Jalen Hurts and his ability to run. And so Hurts lightens the boxes for Sanders. And then that offensive line is able to road grade the way. So 
So don't hear me say he's a bad player. Um, he's an above average back, but he's he's got a pretty easy job most Sundays. This next is kind of a two-part question. Uh, one, I've seen that the Eagles traded for uh, Akeem Hicks today. Robert uh, Quinn. Huh? It was, it was Robert, Robert Quinn. Quinn? Yeah. Yeah, Robert Quinn. I don't know why I had Hicks on the brink. But uh, uh, they were traded for Robert Quinn, which, you know, to add to their pass rush, which has already been formidable just with that front four. Uh, speaking of which, Jordan Davis – was a guy that so many people really coveted in Pittsburgh at draft time. Uh, just because of Stewart's had the worst, you know, run defense in the league last year. And, you know, he sure would have looked good in the black and gold, but I just thought that he was such a great fit with the Eagles. I was looking at his statistics. You know, I think he's had 12 tackles, no sacks, no forced turnovers, anything like that. How do you feel about his progression so far and what is your expectations for the second half of the season? I I feel good about what I've seen from Jordan Davis uh, other than his usage. I think the Eagles should be utilizing him more. So you'll see this on Sunday. The Eagles basically run two different defenses. So they have a five-man front and Jordan Davis plays exclusively in that five-man front as the zero tech, the nose tech, lined up directly on the center. Um, and then they have their four-man fronts, and Davis has not taken a snap in a four-man front this year. I think that they need to put him into those four-man fronts some more and, and let him let him rush, rush the passer a little bit more. I think he's done really good stopping the run. He's done a really good job of eating double teams. We haven't seen him able to rush the passer a lot. And what teams are starting to do, what the Cowboys certainly did the week before the bye for the Eagles is in the second half of that game, Jordan Davis played 12 snaps. Eight of those snaps, the Cowboys threw the ball. They were 7 of 8 for 79 yards and a touchdown on those plays. What teams are starting to do, because the Eagles' fronts are becoming predictable, is they just look to see if 90 is on the field. And if he is, we're going to spread it out and we're going to throw on you. And so that's something to watch for. I'm hoping that they've added some, some different looks to his plate over the bye week. But something to keep an eye on for the Steelers is if Jordan Davis is in the game, just spread out, go empty, whatever, go four wide, running back in the backfield, and get the ball out quick. And that's something that the Eagles have struggled with when they've been passed on out of those five-man fronts. Interesting. That, that That's actually fascinating to me. Uh, I love that, those little things. How has uh, Javon Hargrave done there in Philadelphia? Obviously, he's, he's an old – uh, Steeler player here. We loved him here. Uh, how's how's he been this year doing in Philly? I know he had a really good uh, couple of years there. How, how's he doing this year? Yeah, uh, last year he started really strong, piled on a lot of sacks at the start of the year, and he kind of went quiet down the stretch. And this year his usage has been a little bit different, and I think it's been to his benefit. Uh, playing next to Jordan Davis, and obviously in those five-man fronts, they'll, they'll flank Jordan Davis with Javon Hargrave on one side and Fletcher Cox on the other, which is getting both Hargrave and Cox single, you know, single blocking assignments. And they've done good. Javon Hargrave's his pressure numbers are good. Uh, he's got a few sacks. He's not getting a lot of the buzz that a guy like Hassan Reddick, who's got several forced fumbles, or Josh Sweat, who's got more sacks. But rushing from the interior, he's been really good as a pass rusher this season. 
you'll know that his name. I, when we was watching the NFL draft coverage, there was the young boy who loves the Eagles and has a podcast, and he was talking about what did the Eagles need uh, during the draft, and he said linebackers. Did you see that? Uh, I, I know the clip you're talking about. Yeah, Gio. Yeah. Yeah, now, I, I, you know, I haven't got to watch a lot of the Eagles, and, you know, they've been killing people when I have been watching them. Did he get his wish? How is the Eagles linebackers looking this year? Is that young man heavy? Well, they didn't draft a lot. Well, I guess they did draft. They drafted N'Kobe Dean in the third round, and he hasn't played hardly at all. And it's because the linebackers have been playing good. They went out and they signed Kazir White in free agency out, uh-huh. out of Los Angeles. He's played well. T.J. Edwards has really stepped up as their Mike linebacker. Uh, and then, of course, they sign Hassan Reddick, who they play as a Sam. He's more of an edge rusher. But um, And the Eagles are pretty devoted to playing nickel personnel. They, they very rarely get into base personnel. Only on 7% of their snaps have they been in base personnel with three or four linebackers on the field. Uh, but the linebackers, for the first time that I can remember, the linebackers haven't been a total liability for the Eagles this season. You talk about nickel personnel. I, I want to talk about, uh, and you mentioned him, Avante Maddox, uh, earlier. He had quite a season last year, quite a big jump up in stats. We had a, a ton of tackles, tackles for loss more than usual. Uh, he seemed to be making more plays in the backfield. Like he, he just kind of had an exploding type of year. Uh, how has he developed? Is, is he being used like that again? Because looking at his stats, I expected to see going looking at his tape that he blitzed a lot. Like I remember Mike Hilton for the Steelers would blitz 50, 60 times a year, and they had him down for only like 12 blitzes uh, in 2021. So so he's got to be playing like an interesting kind of nickel position there. Uh, what does he bring to the team? How is he used? What What is his usage in that nickel defense? Yeah, the Eagles don't blitz off of the edge very often. They, they've brought T.J. Edwards on blitzes up the middle. Uh, they'll blitz out of those five-man fronts. They don't often blitz uh, with their nickel cornerback, and so he hasn't had a lot of those reps, but he's had a really good season. Um, last year was the first year that he really just got to play in the slot. He, he was clearly a slot cornerback. I mean, he's 5'9", 180 pounds. He's not an outside cornerback, and yet the Eagles have been so woeful in coverage over the years that they just could never solve the cornerback position. And so he had to play outside last year. He got moved into the slot and he thrived this year in the slot. He's done really well. Uh, He's allowed 15 receptions this season for 152 yards and he's got an interception. So um, target him at your own risk. I guess he's the best of the three that, you know, for a matchup you might want to exploit and try to target. You don't want to be throwing at slay or Bradbury. Um, it could be a rough matchup for him, though. The the Steelers like to put Chase Claypool in the slot, and that's the type of receiver that you've tried to protect Avante Maddox from by putting him in the slot. I mean, Claypool is, what, 6'4"? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's got, like, what, 7, 8 inches on Maddox? So that's definitely a matchup that the Steelers could look to um, early in the game. I was just looking it up while y'all was talking because we hadn't mentioned him yet. But Darius Slay, one of the things that we've talked about often with the Steelers of rebuilding, and you know, you can look at teams like the Eagles as a as a good example of a team that 
kind of had to do a little bit of a rebuild after their Super Bowl season and, you know, have done so well. You know, and they've used free HC, they've made trades, they've used everything at their disposal. Uh, Darius Slate. The Steelers desperately need a, a number one cornerback because it just it it helps the whole defense, especially that backfield. If you have that one guy that you can put out there, and you can say, okay, he's going to shut his guy down. I don't watch enough of the Eagles to know this. Does Slay move sometimes with the number one receiver, or does he just stay on predominantly on one side of the field and just shuts that down? Against the Vikings, they predominantly had Darius Slay shadow Justin Jefferson. Uh, they had him shadow and play a lot of man coverage. Outside of that game, they haven't had him shadow so much. They sit back and they play a lot of quarters. And so they, they keep a corner safety duo on the same side of the field so they're experienced passing off those routes to one another. So it's going to look like a lot of man coverage. Uh, it's really a lot of zone matching and a lot of quarters. And they feel confident in Bradbury on the other side that – unless there's a specific matchup they're targeting, they, they tend to leave those guys alone. Now, in this game, I would be targeting probably George Pickens with Bradbury, not Slay. Bradbury's a little more physical corner, uh, and the biggest element of what I've seen of the Steelers' vertical passing attack is Kenny Pickett liking to throw those contested catches to George Pickens, who just phenomenal in those situations. So, I could see them maybe putting Bradbury on Pickens and moving him around a little bit, but by and large, they just keep their guys on their side of the field. Now, Darius Slay is, what, do you think he's 31? Bradbury's 29. Is this is this a team that, I mean, this secondary has been incredible. I'll throw some stats out here real quick. Uh, Eagles are top three in passes defended, interceptions, and again, they played one less game than other teams. They're top three in yards per attempt, yards per completion allowed, yards after catch allowed, completion percentage. They're number one uh, in quarterback rating against. While being kind of middle of the road in, in pressure and sacks and, and pass rush, they are one of the best, if not the best all around uh, pass defense teams in the NFL with Bradbury and Slay playing as good as they are, how how much of a window does this team have? Is is are the Eagles sitting here at six and zero, kind of thinking, you know, we're in right now mode. We need to capitalize on this and win this year. I don't think they have to win this year. So James Bradbury will be a free agent after this year. It was a one year deal. I suspect he's going to play himself out of the Eagles' price range. You know, you never know what a guy's going to think. He's been in New York his whole career. Maybe he's tired of losing and he just wants to be a part of an organization he likes and he takes a smaller deal. I wouldn't count on that. So I do think Bradbury is probably gone after this year. And Darius Slay's aging, like you said. And cornerbacks, when they do decline, they tend to fall off of a cliff. So you don't know what kind of a time frame you have there. That said, they do have the Saints' first-round pick in the upcoming draft, which is looking to be very good right now. If, if the season ended today, it'd be the number four overall pick. So I think that they will probably look to acquire draft a cornerback. They'll probably look to draft a defensive tackle or an edge rusher because that's what they do. They build through the trenches. And the key components of this roster, the core is still young, but there are some players like Fletcher Cox, James Bradbury, Darius Slay that are – that are in the process of aging out. Jason Kelsey likely retires after this year. So 
um, it's not a they, it's not a have to win right now, but you would like to win soon before you start to lose some of those key pieces. Yeah, that, that's there's always that urgency when you have guys that have contributed so much to the the franchise, and you want to get them in the Super Bowl. Well, thankfully, a lot of the guys the Eagles have have experienced that and won a Super Bowl. So you know it, it's yeah. it's not like the Steelers have Cam Hayward, you know, uh, TJ Watts, you had Marquise Pouncey, he retired and never was able to, to win one. So, um, or to be in one. So, you know, I, there's always that sense of urgency, but what do you think is the key, you know, health's always important and the Eagles have really good depth, but still health is always the, the key component. But what do you think that the Eagles need to work on? in this second half of the season to, you know, be a true Super Bowl contender? Uh, so offensively, I think they need to come up with some better answers against the Blitz, and we talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to regain the verticality of their passing game. So the first three weeks of the year, Jalen Hurts' average depth of target was like nine-plus yards. It was near the top of the NFL. The next three weeks, it fell to 4.2 yards which was by far the lowest in the NFL. Kirk Cousins was second at 6.2. So Kirk Cousins was throwing the ball uh, 50% further than Hertz was over those three weeks. And some of that was matchups. They played the Jaguars in a really rainy game. Uh, They played the Cardinals, who are a really blitz-happy team, and they chose to throw a ton of screens against that. And then they played the Cowboys, who obviously have one of the best pass rushes in the league. But it all comes back to blocking up the blitz, having some hot answers, being able to push the ball downfield. On defense, I think they just need to be a little less predictable in their defensive fronts and the coverages they play behind it. Right now, uh, it's it's a little too obvious what sorts of coverages they're in, uh, even just by the personnel that's on the field. And so a little bit of fine-tuning there. The defense is playing well. They're, they're good at getting off the field on third downs. Uh, they're second in passing EPA per play. They're fourth overall in EPA per play. But they have got a lot of turnovers. And we know that turnovers are largely luck-based. You can't rely on that. And I don't think they are. But the defense definitely wouldn't look as good had those turnovers not happened. All right, Shane. Uh, it's been great having you on here. It's been a great conversation here. Very informative. Uh, before you go, we want to get – we like to get picks for uh, what you think the score of the game is going to be. Do you have a score for us for this game? I do. Okay. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm taking the Eagles. I'm going to take the Eagles 31-17. Um, wow, high-scoring game for the Steelers. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see. So there, I, I debated on this because on one side, the Eagles are really good at parking the bus in the second half when a game's going their way Uh, over the last three weeks, they've averaged over 10 and a half minutes time of possession in the fourth quarter. They've entered the fourth quarter with a lead of 7.6 points. And they've basically given their opponents four and a half minutes with the ball to try to overcome that. So um, I I thought about going lower scoring here. The, the Eagles run defense isn't great. The Steelers might be able to get their run game going. It could be a grinded out game, but I, I think that, Kenny Pickett probably hits a couple explosive plays to George Pickens. Pickens has done so good in that. I think it puts some points on the board. 
Uh, ultimately, though, I think the Eagles win this game. If, if you're sitting on your podcast next week talking about a Steelers win, it'll be because they were able to get after Hurts and the Eagles turned the ball over, which is not something they've done much. But if they start to turn the ball over, if the Steelers are able to not be playing from behind, it can sort of take the wind out of the Eagles' typical pattern of get ahead early and then just grind the clock out to end the games. All right. Well, there, there you go. Before you head out, uh, if you can let people know where they can find your work, where they can find your podcast, uh, all the different places you are, uh, let them let them know. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at half and half underscore TPL. Um, on my Twitter bio, I have a link tree that links to my podcast, that links to my YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel. It, it I don't have a handle for it yet, so it's just a whole bunch of random letters and numbers that I don't even know. But uh, every week I put out all 22 video, primarily the Eagles, so your viewers might not be terribly interested in that. But also going to that channel is uh, my weekly podcast, Chalk Talk. Uh, I've got a co-host, Mark Henry Jr., and every week on Tuesday nights we go live and we do a full NFL review. So it's Eagles-centric. We spend like the first 20 minutes reviewing the Eagles game, and then we spend about an hour going through each of the other games. So, you know, if you're into the Steelers game, you're not watching a lot of other games, you want to know what's going on around the league, you could check that out. If you don't want to hear the Eagles talk, just skip 20 minutes in, but you'll hear us talk about all the games, (laughs) give you the information that you need to know for those. And then, of course, I'm on the BGN feed, too, with their post-game reaction shows. I'll be there right after the Eagles-Steelers game. And then I'm on a midweek podcast, the EPA podcast, which is a little more X's and O's focused into the Eagles. All right, man. Thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, I am going to have to wish you a really awful week uh, of post-game shows and discussing the Eagles-Steelers game. But uh, I I don't think that's going to happen. But but hopefully, (laughs) hopefully for our side. But thank you so much for being on. Thanks, uh, It's been great having you, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, good. I guess I, I can't say good luck this weekend, but <laughs> good luck the next one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you, man. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Okay, Shannon. Oh, man. I want to bring this up. I I want to bring this up while the Eagles fan was here, you know, to to hear this. Uh, But the last time, if if you're watching this and you read the description, the last time the Steelers won in Philadelphia was 1965. The last time the Steelers won on the road. I was telling Shannon right before the show started, that not only did Ben Roethlisberger never win in Philadelphia, he never scored a touchdown. 
Ben Roethlisberger, it's the only city he played more than one game in and didn't score a touchdown, either passing or rushing or anything. And and he's 0-2 in Philadelphia, which is crazy because one of my big things I loved about Ben Roethlisberger, he was was absolute terror all up and down the East Coast. But when you went West, he got progressively, the farther West you went through, he got worse and worse and worse, and his record got worse and worse and worse. And then Philadelphia was was probably the worst city he played in. He was just absolutely terrible in Philadelphia. Shannon, what's the Steelers' hope of breaking a streak that goes back and predates Chuck Knoll? Yeah, that, you know, not in my lifetime. Uh, <laughs> definitely not your lifetime. Nope. Uh, I remember both games that being played. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember them being terrible blowouts and so ugly, but. I didn't remember the the Ben didn't even score a touchdown. Yeah. So if you told me that, I was taken back. Um, you know, you think Chuck Knoll never won? Yeah. Uh, you know, in Philly, uh, Coward didn't. I mean, you know, that's just it's hard to believe. But there's sometimes it, when the Steelers lost in Oakland a few years ago, I think it was twenty seventeen. No, twenty eighteen. And and Boswell missed some kicks, and you know, and it was just, and you know, you you just sit back and you're like, there's no way Oakland should have played with the Steelers, you know, been in that game. Mm-hmm. But but going into it, everybody kept talking about it all week, like Steelers can't beat the Raiders, Steelers can't beat the Raiders. Yeah, well, you, you know, just... on the West Coast, and I'm thinking, oh, that's crazy. You you mm-hmm. can't, you know, no, it's true. There's it's just I don't know if it's a jinx. You know, uh, whatever the old uh, Red Sox jink or the Cubs jinx with the goat and the and, and all this, there's some kind of jinx that's happened to the Steelers when they go to Philadelphia. Maybe where they were, had one team at one point there, and and the Steelers have never been able to recover. The curse of the Steagles. The Steagles, exactly. And, and I'm just, <laughs> I, I just, you know, if it even if both teams were having like normal seasons, like the Eagles were not undefeated and the Steelers were, you know, a contender like they have been for the last say 18 years. Um, I would still say that would be a tough game for them because of that jinx. But going into this, the way these two teams look right now, uh, I I really have no hope. I I said earlier in the week that never in Ben Roethlisberger's career that I just feel like the Steelers didn't have at least a fighting chance against anybody. But mm-hmm. I don't feel like that anymore. And I understand that, that he's gone and Watts out. And, you know, those are the two guys responsible for those nine wins last year, in all honesty. So I, I just I, I hope that they we see progress this weekend and Pickett, you know, continues to improve and, and uh, gets on the same page with, you know, his receivers and uh, the offensive line continues to improve. And, that's what I'm looking for right now because I'm not expecting any miracles this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty far-fetched. Especially looking back, two Steelers Super Bowl teams went in and had embarrassing losses to the Eagles. Uh-huh. It's 1979 Steelers and the 2008 Steelers both went into Philadelphia and just absolutely laid an egg. 1979 Steelers are the Steelers' only year in their history that they had the number one scoring offense and they, I think they had like 11 points against the, the Eagles. It, it was terrible. Uh, so it, it's kind of, yeah, it, it's, there's a whole bunch of history against this. It's, 
can Mike Tomlin this year with a terrible Steelers team, the worst Steelers team, like since what? Since 1969, since Chuck Knoll's first season? I mean, they might be the worst team since that team that the Steelers have fielded and going against an undefeated Eagle squad after their bye week. Like the, the amount of things that are just not in the Steelers favor here, right? You have a really good team coming off a week off. They've had time to prepare and look at your game. They've had time to pick apart this offense that is terrible with the number one passing defense. The Steelers can't run the ball and you can't throw against Philadelphia with one less team than other teams have played. They're number one in interceptions. Like this is not the game the Steelers want to play right now. Right. And then you have this incredible history of the Steelers going to Philadelphia and being terrible. I warned you I was going to ask this. I didn't I didn't spoil it before the game. But I want to ask this. I want people in the people in the in the live chat can try and get in here. Uh, If you get it right, I'll put you I'll put your comment up. Who was the running back in 1965 when the Steelers beat the Eagles? If you're if you've been a fan for, you know, if you're if you're my age, Shannon's age. You know this name. You know this name. Who was the Steelers running back in 1965 when they beat the Eagles in Philadelphia? Well, I already know my answer is wrong because I, I, you said it was. Because uh, I see John Henry Johnson. I don't, I don't know. I have no clue who it is. <laughs> he, I'll, tell, I'll, give you, I'll give you a clue just to give the live chat a chance to, if anyone wants to make a guess here. He's well-known for Steelers fans, but not for being a running back, for being a coach. Very, very well-known coach here in Pittsburgh who was also a running back. Mm. Was Dick Hoke a running back? That, that's the guy. Okay, yeah. That was Dick Hoke. So yeah. 45 years with the Steelers, 10 <laughs> as a player, 35 as a running back yeah. coach. And he I didn't know. I couldn't remember if he was a running back or not when he played because I didn't. The last <laughs> time the Steelers beat the Eagles in Philadelphia, Dick Hoke was their running back. Now remember, Dick Hoke retired when Cowher retired, <laughs> and, and I think it was Chuck Knoll made him uh, when he retired. Chuck Knoll made him a running back coach, so he was a running back coach for Franco Harris, uh, Jerome Bettis, uh, like all these guys. He yeah. was the running backs coach for. In 2007, he retired. What a what a career, Dick Hoke. And right now, he's best known right at this moment <laughs> for being the last Steelers running back to beat the Eagles. So that's 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 just what we're up against, people. That's yeah. that's what we're looking at. This is not a game that the Steelers have any real chance to to win, really. And Oh, if you'll let me hear, Shannon, there, there's a comment here. I'm not going to put it up because it's a big one. I but someone it. brought up that I talked a lot about Matt Canada before they got before he arrived, after they signed him, mm-hmm. and they asked, "Are you ready to admit you were wrong yet?" Just wanted to tease me a bit. They're doing it in good fun here, but they want to ask mm-hmm. me, "Are you are you ready to admit you're wrong?" Now, what was it two weeks ago, Shannon? I wanted a big thing about Matt Canada, about him being the guy to bring in this style of offense. It's clear the Steelers want to be like the Chiefs and the Bills with how they run their offense. They wanted a mobile quarterback. They wanted these motions. They wanted this kind of a system in place. 
my opinion was at the time, Matt Canada is a great guy to bring in because he's creative. He brings a lot to it, uh, a lot of ingenuity to this style of offense. With one thing, if you if you look at my film rooms when I talked about Matt Canada, the one thing Matt Canada teams had to do to succeed, always, across the board, everywhere he went, you have to be able to run inside the mm-hmm. If you can run between the tackles, you can run up the middle, his offense comes together. And every single time, you can go game by game at the schools he was at. If you could stuff that run game up the middle, his entire offense fell apart. Just absolutely fell apart. You look at those big wins he has, they're running up the middle successfully. And once they start doing that, the jet sweeps become so much more effective. The little shovel passes where you're you're faking a, a jet sweep and they're following the running back to that guard, but that gap right behind him, boom, you hit a tight end and he's wide open. Just, just right behind where the running back ran. That's Matt Canada's offense when it works. The Steelers cannot run up the middle, and we are seeing what Matt Canada's offense looks like whenever a team can't run up the middle. That is a that is the foundation of his offense, and if he doesn't have it, he can't win. One of my hopes was we saw Kevin Dotson. We saw the Kevin Dotson as a rookie. We 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 saw them bringing in new people, all this stuff. I'd hope they could get it together, but they haven't. And Frankly, a lot of the blame does deserve to go to Matt Canada because how how can you be like you you can't just demand the Steelers have the 2004 offensive line, right? You're not mm-hmm. no, you're not going to have Alan Fanica. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have that all the time. Uh, but he almost needs that in order for his offense to work. The other thing is when Matt Canada's offense works, it really works. When Matt Canada's offense doesn't work, it doesn't work at all. And that's another thing we're seeing. It's not working. It's not working at all. There's no middle ground here. It's either going to be really good or it's going to be terrible. And we can't run up the middle, so it's going to be terrible. But even even in that, even saying that, I think there was value to hiring Matt Canada simply to put this offense in place, put the Steelers in a position to go out and hire an offensive coordinator who may be better at coaching and running this offense than he is because they run the same plays. They run the same sets and formations and everything that the bills run, that the Kansas city chiefs run that other teams, they run a lot of the same things. Uh, the 49ers run, they just, those teams run them better, right? They, and it's not necessarily mm-hmm. the players. They just execute better. That's on coaching too. That can be on coaching. So for me, I think the hiring of Matt Canada put in his offense. And even though he himself has not worked out, it puts the Steelers I think they're in a much better position now with a better functioning offensive line that fits what you what this offense wants to do with a young quarterback, not Ben Roethlisberger in charge now, uh, where you, you know you're trying to change the offense with an old quarterback. No one wants to do that. I think they're in a better position to hire a better offensive coordinator now. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> sometimes. You know, you have an idea and you put a plan together and it just don't work. Yeah. Matt Canada's offense, you know, was successful in some spots. And when it, like you said, when it was, it was very explosive. But the talent had to, to fit the, the offense. When we've seen what his past history had looked like, 
Uh, a lot of us got excited, you know, about him coming in and the Steelers bringing in a more modern offense. But just like in the past, he had to have the talent to run that offense. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't for sure last year. Well, this year they've given him a lot of those components. But yeah. it's not worked at the NFL level. One of the things that I an offense is all is should be constantly evolving. You you establish something that works, and then you tweak that, and you add something to it, and you're constantly playing off of that. Mm-hmm. The Steelers are seeing right now; they'll send people in motion, but you know, and on some of them sweeps and reverses stuff. But they're not building off of that. It's not branching off in, into something else. It's not it's not influencing the defense like they want it to, because a lot of it is very predictable. Like they run Gunner or Seski out there ten plays, and when he's out there, it's running plays most oh, of yeah. the time. He's definitely, dumb. yeah, he's definitely not a threat mm-hmm. to catch the ball. And the Dolphins paid him no mind; they didn't even pay attention to him. So basically, the Steelers are playing ten on eleven. Yeah, and you know, then then it's like, well, they decided today not to activate Calvin Austin the third. I don't understand that. Uh, you know, they do and. Uh, but I, I don't see, it, you know, it doesn't seem to be injury related. And say that, you know, he can't hit the ground running or, you know, that he, it's too late for him to offer anything this season. What is Gunner all of? Yeah, that, those are the things that, that concern me right now. Um, I, I'm not, I'm, you know, Canada hasn't worked out. We all know that. Yeah. And, and, uh, I was excited, and, and I admit it, for the potential I thought uh, that he could bring. But when you watch, you know, you mentioned the Chiefs and, and the Bills. You know, we get to see them a lot because they're good and they're on TV a lot. And if you watch them, they're constantly adding new wrinkles. And, and yes, they've got superstars, but a lot of that is scheme-based. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, there, there's a difference – in uh, what will work at the collegiate level and what will work in the NFL against that level of defensive coordinators. You know, Tom Brady's struggling. Aaron Rodgers is struggling. Russell Wilson is struggling. Matt Ryan, all these quarterbacks that everybody was just, you know, MVP favorites every year and, and all this, and they're just, they study so hard and, you know, all the things that Ben didn't do. And being last year, you know, shell of yourself, no mobility, led him to nine wins with a team that was not very talented and had a bad offensive coordinator. These teams have, these quarterbacks have much more talent, uh, better offensive coordinators, and they're struggling mightily right now. Uh, it, it, you know, there's always a, a sway, a given, a, you know, a flow to everything. And I think that NFL defenses are catching up to a lot of these offensive concepts and attacks. And this year you're seeing uh, some of the things that's worked in the past isn't working any longer because, you know, they're going to have to adjust again. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that, that Canada, regardless of what talent you give him, is, is, is in that level with guys that we were talking about earlier. Okay. Yeah, I've – I'll agree with you. I will straight up agree with you. Matt Canada has not worked. They're going to have to move on from him. Like, I, you can't. Like, I, 
the rumors that he may get fired after going into the bye week, I can believe that. That's the the offense is that bad. You can't. You've got to change something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't think Canada's like. The, we often as fans will start looking at one problem, like Mitch Trubisky. He's the problem. Put in Kenny Pickett, man, we'd win games. We put in Kenny Pickett, we're not winning games. Okay, Matt Canada's the problem. If we get rid of him, the offense will be better. Well. That, that might also not be the case. There are a lot of problems with this offense. Uh, Mike Tomlin even, even said the problems this team has aren't going to be fixed on a week-to-week basis. Mm-hmm. And that told me my, that's as much admission as you're going to get from Mike Tomlin that this is going to take more than one season. But you what's know, the common denominator? Season, yeah, they're going to have to work this offseason. They're going to they're mm-hmm. gonna have to do stuff. But what's the common denominator? What's the common denominator, Shannon? I mean, Matt Canada. Well, they had four. They had four. They had four quarterbacks. Four quarterbacks, and that offense looks very similar. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'll give Tomlin credit, and I'll give him blame. He's like, oh, we had quarterback mobility last year. Poor old Ben. I feel sorry for him because Tomlin every press conference. Well, that quarterback mobility, you know that 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 hurt the Steelers. Well, behind and, that offensive know, line, they needed it. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he he really wanted that. Well, this year they got quarterback mobility. They picked up Daniels and Cole, and a core force playing better than he has. And mm-hmm. the offensive line is, you know, top ten in pass blocking. Now yep. they still can't run block, but you know, Ben would have loved to have that pass blocking line last year. Oh, he yeah. would have loved to have George Pickens instead of Ray Ray McLeod to throw to as that third oh. receiver. Um, you know, people you had probably 11, what, 11, you'd have at least 11 wins, maybe 12 last year yeah. for this offensive line last season. So you're, you're looking at a situation that Matt Canada is the common denominator because you can't blame it on Mike Tomlin because Tomlin doesn't call the offense. You know, you can say, well, he brought him in or whatever, but yeah. the offense has to go on Matt Canada and it's not yeah. good enough. It, I, I'll agree with you there. I, I think I, my thing is I don't think. If the Steelers do get rid of Matt Canada, which I think is quite possible here, I your offense, what, what are you going to expect the rest of the season from this offense? If they get rid of Matt Canada and they promote uh, Mike Sullivan to offensive coordinator, what, what kind of difference would you expect from this offense the rest of the season? Or are you, are you expecting them to get up to like 20-some points a game? Because even there, I can, I can sit there and say that. I'm like, you know what? I, I still don't think this is a good offense. Even, you know, getting rid of Matt Canada, I don't think they're going to be good. No, they have holes. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of this has to go back on, you know, the scouting department and on Colbert and on uh, Brandon Hunt and, you know, all these guys, you know, because, you know, again, you they can't decide what kind of blocking scheme they want to do. Uh, you know, you've got Kevin Dotson, who is a power people mover. Mm-hmm. He, you know, Inside zone, and, man. Yeah. He's a- and you've got everybody else that's mobile and is great at outside zone, inside zone. They're shielded turn guys. They're not people movers. Yeah. So Dotson looks like the odd man out there. I mean, he, he doesn't fit yeah. in the scheme. Uh, you got Najee Harris. All right, we're going to draft a first-round running back. And we come in, and you're trying to do outside zone. He don't have the speed to get outside. He yep. he's a he has to a read, and you know he has to find the hole and and power run. 
He he cannot hesitate. He cannot start stop. He cannot jump cut. When he does those things, he loses momentum and then he's done. I yeah. mean, if, if he starts going lateral, I, I shake my head because I know it's a loss or he'll barely get back to the line of scrimmage. You know, there's so many pieces right now that they've hodgepodge this thing together and it doesn't fit. It doesn't make a complete unit. It's like you got a few pieces this style and a few pieces that style. And so, you know, they, they've got to start the rest of the season, as we've said, they got to just define who they are, decide on an identity, and then try to see which people they need to bring back, which might have trade value right now. You know, that, that might now might be the time to move them because nothing's happening this year. Yeah. But, but you know, it, while their value's there, because if they go the rest of the year, and let's say Deontay Johnson has 30, 40 more catches the rest of the year with no yards after the catch, you know, any value he has is, and it's obvious that, you know, if he can develop to his potential, George Pickens is going to be the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. And they'll probably look for another top number two guy because, you know, I don't think Claypool's the answer. So Johnson, his value might be higher than it's ever going to be right now. Those are decisions rebuilding teams have to make. You make the right one, you rebuild, you build your team. The Eagles did. You don't do it and you just sit there and do nothing and nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I have one more thing I want to talk about before we go, and that is this is the last game before the bye week, and we've already heard T.J. Watt is expected to be back after the bye week. <laughs> now, as excited as we could be about that, this is week seven. If the Steelers are two and five, wait, well, this is week eight. Week eight, right? Yeah, it would if be the Steelers two are six. two and six. <laughs> And we go into the second half of the season, we got nine games left. And let's say, and TJ Watt's back. What's this team's record with TJ Watt versus without him? It's a very stark difference. Look at all these games. That, that Miami game, we beat Miami with TJ Watt. I, I still think we beat, in my opinion, I think the Steelers with TJ Watt healthy this whole time have one loss. All those games decided by one score, TJ mm. Watt makes more of a difference on this mm. team. He is worth more than seven points in each game. He just consistently has shown that. Mm -hmm. And I think we beat the Browns too, because TJ Watt doesn't lose to the Browns. He destroys the Browns mm -hmm. and him against miles. Garrett's having a good game. TJ Watt's having a better one. You can just guarantee it. Mm -hmm. uh, so to me, honestly, if TJ Watt had been playing and healthy this whole season, I think the Steelers are six and one simply off that defense. And you could score 17 points or, or they're going to, they're going to put their, you, you know, the, the situations where you turn it straight over from TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick, and they just kind of hand the ball right to Chris Broswell. We saw that last season when the offense really fell off the off, fell apart. Offensive line was terrible. They couldn't run the ball. Ben is back there, uh, you know, trying to run for his life, but he can't like, he's, he's like, he's a picture of, you got mm -hmm. a Walker and he's like trying to <laughs> run for his life with a Walker. Like he can't, he was, you know, you yeah. can't do it. And they would just kind of hand the ball to Boswell and be like, get us three points, buddy. And we'll do it again. We'll do, we'll kick off and we'll do it again. That's kind of what that team was winning with. And I think they could have done it this year. And I'm really worried because the second half of the season 
is an easier part of the schedule. And we're going to have TJ Watt back. And I can see this team heading into the bye week at two and six, ending the season at nine and eight. Mm. With a winning record, draft pick position way down there, and all the same problems they currently have. Well, that would just be a a repeat of what's been going on since 2018. I mean, you know, they're not bad enough to get a top generational player talent, but they're not good enough to be a real contender. And it's been that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, based on what you're, you were saying, and I agree, what is so valuable to this franchise and they've got so much invested in him. This just because he can come back after the, the, you know, he's got 21 days now cause they, they activated him today which I thought they'd wait till after the, the bye week to even start that. Because, yeah. again, if that's what their goal is, is to go 9-8, and eight, like you said, and try to sneak in the playoffs, that's going to hurt them on draft time. It is. And, you know, we have to – we're really hoping that Kenny Pickett is the answer. It's too early to tell. You know, they could, they could be needing another high draft pick and needed early enough to get another quarterback if Kenny yeah. Pickett doesn't appear to be the answer. But regardless, I would protect the investment they've made in one, and I would wait till at least week 11 before putting him out there because you're talking about a guy who's got a bodybuilder's physique who's ripped up, if you've ever seen him, you know, out there shirtless before the game. He's He's... 250-some pounds, throwing around 300-pound guys. This is not something that he can come in and ease his way into. Yeah. If he's if he's going to be effective and he's actually going to play, he's got to go 100%. Everything Watt does, he gives 110%. Mm-hmm. Miles Garrett is a, is a physical freak who will give 50%, 50%, then he'll get an advantage, and then he'll go all in. Why can't do that? For Watt to be effective, he's got to play with it like his hair's on fire. It, yeah. And we see what happened to JJ. As he got older, he kept working just as hard, if not hard. But the injuries start mounting up, mounting up, mounting up. The Steelers need Watt moving forward. And they might have a better opportunity to be competitive next year. Protect him from himself. Don't put him back out there until he's 100%. And the risk of injury, re injury, will drop way down. And. You know, and then also, you know, maybe you're giving up a game or two, but that just helps improve your draft capital. So. Yeah, I like I agree with you. I'm kind of apprehensive because we're sitting here and we can still get, see it, all the problems the Steelers have. Uh-huh. And you start looking at the draft and you start saying, you know, if we're up pretty high, uh-huh. we can get a defensive lineman early. We can get an offensive lineman early. We could get, you know, we could address some of these issues. We could trade back have extra picks, Uh all these options you have. TJ Watt comes back and this team goes seven and two in the second half. Those draft options dry up for what? Another non-losing season. But but the Steelers are going to play him if he's he's healthy. If he's cleared to play, you know the Steelers are going to put him on the field. They're going to, because they do that with literally everyone who is a starter. Not, you know, not the rookies, but... (laughs) But just a quick question. This is a crazy idea. 
you've got Deontay Johnson, like I said, whose value I don't think will ever be higher. Green Bay's needing a guy who can get open. And we know that Rodgers likes Johnson. You know, hey, I would be listening to offers. They have other guys that that they could, you know, uh, acquire picks for. If mm-hmm. they do finish, say, with a top five pick, top six pick, some quarterback needy team, if the Stewart's Phil Pickett's the answer, might get, you know, want to swap first-round picks, throw in some additional picks. The Stewart's have, like, five big needs. You know, yeah. let's say an offensive tackle, defensive line, because the guys are getting old, uh, inside linebacker, number one cornerback. Uh, you know, some of yeah. that you can look at in, in free agency. But, you know, having additional picks, especially earlier in each round, yeah. you're going to get quality. So there's so many things to look at right now. And I know people's like, they don't like my idea of trading right now. Because they're like, oh, you're giving up on the season. Not really. It, it's it's how, how you look at it. Because, you know, the Steelers are still judged by the standard. They try to win the Lombardi every year. If you realize that's not a realistic proposition this year, you want to make yourself that it could be next year. And, and have that mindset. That's why the rebuilding mindset is so critical and important to this Steelers franchise right now. And that's, I don't think that's one, a mindset they will ever allow themselves to, to be in. I, I, I just don't think that's in there. That's not in the, the franchise DNA. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I have this, I have this feeling if Watt's healthy for the entire second half of the season, this team has a winning record at the end. Uh, oh, I can see it happening. Yeah. Cause they're just, I mean, there's very few teams we're facing in the second half that are as good as the dolphins. And I think with TJ Watt, we beat the dolphins. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. There's no splash plays. You had one splash play to that game, and T.J. Watt creates splash plays both for himself and other people uh, with the pressure he creates. But before we get off, we we got to get going here. Uh, we're a little over time. Uh, Shannon, let, let's get our our predictions for the score for this game. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and give yours. <laughs> oh, oh, I kind of agreed with Shane. Uh, but I'm thinking we're looking at a 38, 41, uh, to 17 score, uh, Eagles, uh, depends on if they get a late field goal or not, but so I'm going to stick with, uh, 38, 17 Eagles. Yeah. I mean, Eagles, Eagles do a good job of getting up early. We're going to have a really, really hard time dealing with AJ Brown. Uh-huh. That's going to be hard. We're going we, and if they get up, that that passing defense is tops. They they get all kinds of interceptions. You're throwing Kenny Pickett at that. That's he's not ready for that. Like he, this is this is not good. This is not the good game for us. Uh, I, I see the Steelers falling behind early, and those Eagles sit there and say, "Yeah, we'll run and we'll dominate time of possession." Well, against this Steelers defense, if you're committing to running the ball, and you're wearing down that front seven. It's not going to be long before Miles Sanders is breaking some big runs, and so I I agree. I think it's going to be mm, ugly. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I I really want to just say say forget it all. I'm picking the Steelers to win. Uh, I don't see that happening. <laughs> oh, it's hard because the the defense. This last game we should have been blown out, and the defense held him to 16 points. I, I I'm gonna go. You know I'm gonna go 16. I'm gonna go. 
Philadelphia Eagles, Pittsburgh Steelers score. I'm going to go 16 to 6. Steelers get two field goals. Philadelphia has a trouble scoring, and it's just ugly and awful. And it's awful to watch. That's that's my prediction because it's Philadelphia, and that's what the Steelers look like no matter who they are, no matter how good they are. That's what they look like in Philadelphia. Everyone involved forgets how to play football, and they lose a frustratingly close game by just playing terribly. So that's that's my prediction. Uh, gosh, it's gonna be this. This is not going to be a fun weekend. Uh, Shannon, got anything? Anything fun? Anything interesting? Anything good for the people at home that you can read? Well, anybody that liked what we was talking about tonight just now uh, about the rebuilding mindset, I've got an article I'm working on. Uh, you know, that he made about players that do not fit into the Steelers' rebuilding vision, you know, where they want to go. You said earlier, you know, Canada's helped them, you know, get a more of a modern-day offensive mindset and what they want to be. You know, some guys fit that and some guys will not, and they have to make tough decisions, even on a guy like Cam Hayward. Because I don't want to see Cam Hayward retire, you know, when a super lacking a Super Bowl might be what could keep him out of the Hall of Fame. It might be a tough conversation, but the Steelers and Hayward, depending on how these next few years paying out, they might have to have a tough conversation about do you want your legacy to be, to be only in a to go somewhere where you have a chance to win a Super Bowl. And I don't know if the Steelers will be able to offer him that. So that's a little bit of what the article's about. All right. Uh, as for me, I've got the Vertex coming out here, maybe even tomorrow. Uh, and it's about Terrell Edmonds. And uh, it's it's going to be a good one. It's about Terrell Edmonds played a heck of a game against the Miami Dolphins. And it really showcased how the Steelers use him. In a very Terrell Edmonds game uh, where the Steelers held the Miami Dolphins offense in check but couldn't create any big plays uh that's pretty much Terrell Edmonds right there like that they the Steelers offense defense embodied Terrell Edmonds against the Miami Dolphins especially the dropped interception yeah everything else was great and he dropped that (laughs) uh, oh I watched that I I coach goalie I coach little league soccer yeah I, I do a lot with goalies and one of the first things I teach these kids is when you go to catch a ball you got your arms extended you get your elbows together. Yeah. Create that basket. Otherwise, the ball's just going to go right through. <laughs> and I saw him do that. And I'm just sitting there. And I, I, I'm i like, I teach eight-year-old kids how to do better than that. That's what, yeah. that's one of the things I do. Oh, it drove it drove me nuts. Anyways, anyways, that's, that's our show. Oh, my goodness. Uh, hopefully, hopefully the Steelers shock Shannon and I. Uh, give us something much better than we expected. Give us the first win since Dick Hoke was running back for the Steelers. If Tomlin, if Tomlin pulls off a win in this game, not only will it be an incredible win, it'll be something that literally Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Terry Bradshaw, Ben Roethlisberger never did. Yeah. Mean Joe Green never won a game in Philadelphia. If 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 they can pull it off this week, I I don't we should throw Mike Tomlin a parade. 
That's that's, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Break that streak. Get a parade. Uh, to everyone that's been in our live chat, thank you for being here. Thank you for your comments and your participation. Everyone listening to this on podcast platform, thank you for giving us your time and and listening to all of the the, the podcasts on Behind the Steel Curtain. Make sure you're all check, clicking over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Reading the articles from Shannon and myself, nothing but very top-tier quality journalism right there. The very best, best content the internet has to offer. If you're listening, I'm saying this with a smile on my face. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, thanks all thanks to all of you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. And as always, let's go Steelers. 